Where's my thingy? I want to, uh, if you're a visitor, you've come to the second last talk in the book of Ephesians. We started this book in February, and we've been studying it slowly and carefully together. And today we come to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking from verse 5 to 9. And then next week we'll look at verse 10 to the end. And we'll be finished the book of Ephesians. And what a study it's been. So do turn there. Has anyone got a page number for us? 1178. Round about there in the church Bible. Let me show you where we are. We have seen as we've studied this book that what God is doing through Jesus Christ Christ is restoring the universe. He's creating a restored universe out of a broken universe. And the whole universe is going to be reconciled, restored under Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. In particular, the book of Ephesians focuses on two spheres of God's activity. One of those spheres is the things in heaven where we see that they have been defeated and judged, that is the spiritual powers in opposition to God, Jesus Christ on the cross defeated them. Things on earth is the realm of you and me and human beings. God has restored the fragmentation and the broken relationships by redeeming us and reconciling us first to himself and as a consequence to each other. This is the book of Ephesians. The 1 to 3 is the order that Jesus has attained out of the broken universe. He's recreated order, just like in Genesis 1, 2 and 3. He's imposed his good order and all relationships are brought back into order. This is what he has done and this is what we must do. The order we must sustain. And so it's not surprising that the second half of the book of Ephesians is all about these set of relationships. Christians and word ministers... Christians and Christians, Christians and the world, husbands and wives, parents and children, and today, employers and employees. Next week, Christians and the evil one, and we'll be finished the book of Ephesians. So for today, employers and employees, I'm going to read it, then we'll pray. So, have a look. Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Really, there is only one master and it is you. Master Jesus Christ. So we gather before you this morning as servants. We'll either be servants to our passions, servants to our own desires, servants to our selfishness, or we'll be servants of the living God. So come and speak to us. Tell us how to be good servants. 
Teach us from your word. Encourage us. Grow us, we pray. Come, be our speaker this morning, we pray. Amen. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 6. Look at that first word there. Slaves. Slaves. You can't get far without stumbling over that word, can you? Slaves. And if that's a horrible word, slaves, look at the next word. That's even a worse word. That's like a swear word. Slaves, obey. It's not a great introduction to a passage, is it? It's not the kind of thing you pick on a Sunday morning saying, you know what I think I'll speak about this morning? I think I'll speak about slaves obeying. And luckily we've all more civilized. So we've advanced past the Bible and uh, we've grown more uh, civilized. We understand more. And this is a very old book. Hence it's still got things like slaves in it. Well, if that's the way you think, let me just help you to understand what's going on here. First of all, that word slaves is not what you're thinking. When you hear the word slaves, you're thinking of usually a black person trussed up like a rat, stuffed in the bottom of a ship and carried across the Atlantic to work in dismal conditions in America or Caribbean somewhere. You're thinking of the slave trade. But that's not at all what's going through Paul's mind when he writes about slaves. Because back in his day, in the first century, when he was writing this, slavery was normal and part of the economy in the Roman Empire. In fact, you could sell yourself into slavery for a while to get rid of uh, your debts. And at the end of it, you can come out of it again. It's not race-based in the first century wasn't like white people enslaving black people. It's nothing like that at all. Everyone could be a slave for a period of time. It was more to do with the economy than conquer. Although there was some conquering. If you read Asterix, you'll see that. But most of the time it was an economic thing. <clears throat> when Paul was writing to Ephesus, one third of the whole city were slaves. One third of the city were slaves. It was a normal part of everyday life in the first century. And not only that, slaves were highly respected because you could be an artist or you could be a writer or you could be an architect. Yes, you would have probably been a slave. Which is why this morning we're talking about employers and employees. It's not me trying to soften the blow of the Bible. When Paul is talking about slaves and masters, He's pretty much talking about what we would call employers and employees. And that's why we're going to be looking at this morning. I may just say, on a, by way of aside, it was due to the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire that slavery dwindled. It was Christianity, and history will show this. It was Christianity that was at the forefront of abolishing the Atlantic slave trade in the 16th, 17th, 18th century. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible lists as a grievous sin to enslave people against their will. Most of the slavery in, in Paul's day was voluntary, not enslaving. So we're really talking about employers and employees. And I've only got two points this morning. Employees are servants of Christ who serve their employers with goodwill. You'll see this in the text. 
And employers are servants of Christ who treat their employees with goodwill. And this is what the text is telling us. Straight away, notice that they are equal. Please, notice that. Have a look at verse 6. Not by way of eye service, he's talking to the employees as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. So employees are servants of Christ. But look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master is yours in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. No partiality with him. You don't fax your CV to heaven. God's not really interested in that. So here we see the biblical principle that people are equal but different. And that is a concept that our modern world just can't accept. But the truth is the Bible teaches that people can be equal and yet different, have different roles. It's the same principle in chapter 5 verse 21. Look at 5 verse 21. All the way back, by the way, Paul is carrying on with this principle that we saw a while ago. He says in 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That does not mean complete reciprocity in submission. What it means is that we submit to those to whom submission is due. Paul could not be saying, parents, submit to your children. He's not saying that. He's not saying... Husbands, submit to your wives. That would be a contradiction. What he's saying is every single one in this room has to submit to somebody. Submit to those to whom it is due. And he spells it out. In verse 22, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Children, he goes on in chapter 6, children, you are to submit to your parents. Earlier on in the book, he said to the people of God, you are to submit to the ministers of the word and the elders. And now we get in verse 5, slaves submit to your earthly masters. Equal, equal, but different roles. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these two things. Employees are servants of Christ who serve their employers with goodwill. So let's look at it. Verse 5, slaves Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Employees, obey your employers. That is what the Bible says. You have to do what they say. That is the Christian response to an employer. When an employer asks you to do something, you do it. You obey your employer. Yeah, that's not difficult, eh? That's easy. Of course, this doesn't mean obey only when you agree with them. That's not what it says. Because if you only obey someone when you agree with them, who are you really obeying? You're really obeying yourself. Christians submit. We obey people we don't agree with. But that's our position. That's where we are. We obey. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. It's not hard. What's difficult is 
attitude. That's the hard part. Because actually, all of us have got this massive thing on our shoulders called a mortgage. So we've got no option. But Paul's not just addressing our obedience. He's addressing the heart. Look at what he says. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. In other words, we obey our employers. Christians obey our employers with respect and honor. Not angry or defiant. We voluntarily, voluntarily place ourselves under someone else. We submit. Christians are submitting people with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We obey from the heart. We don't stand here with a heart that's raging when our body obeys because Christianity is all about the heart. It's not about the body. It's about the heart. It's like your children. We try and teach our children. If I say to one of my daughters, go and tidy your room, they turn like this and they walk off like they've got rigor mortis. The whole body is like going like this. And I call them back. And I say, you're not obeying me. But she is obeying me. No, she's not. It's not just your body I want to obey me. Otherwise, I'll get a robot. It's your heart. Obey me from the heart. And it's the same. Christians obey Christ from the heart. We don't grumpy against Christ. We obey Him lovingly and freely. And Christ tells us, obey your employer in the same way. If I have to go to all your employers, they should say to me, oh, what a joy so-and-so is. They just so freely want to serve here at this company, whatever it is. Why do we obey from the heart? Why can't we just go on a Monday, sit down, go through our fifth coffee and count the minutes till tea break? Why do we obey from the heart? You know why? Because we don't care what people think. Look at what it says in verse 6. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Did you understand that? To go to your work and obey your employer is to do the will of God. Isn't that amazing? How many people say to me, I wish I knew God's will for my life. Well, just go and obey your employer will be a good start. Or I'm looking up and suddenly seeing young people. Or the teacher. Why? Why do we obey God from the heart? The answer is because we're not people pleasers. We don't care what they think. We care what God thinks. And God looks down and He looks on the heart. You know, the crazy thing, folks, when you become a Christian, is you are freed from that massive burden of trying to please people. Christianity is such freedom. Because we don't try and please people. We please Him. And therefore... We submit and serve people. Here is Martin Luther, one of my heroes. Did it jump there or did it? Yeah, it must have. I must have bumped it. Has that been up the whole time and distracting you? Sorry. Well, now you've read it ten times and not listened to me, but read it again. This is Martin Luther from the Reformation. 
a Christian man, this is in one of his brilliant uh, writings on the liberty of the will, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. Isn't that great? A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And that's Martin Luther, just this gymnast, mental gymnast. Well, the point is, is that it's precisely because we're free, we're not people pleasers, that we're free to serve. Listen, let me put it to you this way. If you're not a Christian, and you're out there in Perth, you're fighting. All of life is a fight. You're fighting for your rights. You're afraid of being dominated. Struggling for your identity. Fighting for your freedom. I won't let them get an advantage on me. Oh, I won't let them take advantage of me. So afraid that someone will take advantage of me. I'll fight to get to the top. What a heavy life. Christians are free from that. You know why? Because we've been completely advantaged. Rather than being taken advantage of, God has come to earth. We've studied this in Ephesians. He's lived the life we should have lived. He's died the death we should have died. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, which you have come to if you come to the early part of the book of Ephesians. You will have seen that we've been advantaged. We've been given everything. Therefore, we don't have to fight. We're free. We're free. Our identity is in Christ. My promotion is in Christ. Every blessing imaginable is in Christ. Therefore, I'm free to serve others, to submit, because I don't have to struggle. Someone struggled for me, even to the point of fighting for breath on a cross. He fought for me. I don't have to fight, I'm free. I'm not a people pleaser. Therefore, I serve everyone. And I submit. And not only that, verse 8, I look forward to His reward. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back. This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Whether you're a slave or free, the reward lies with God. Did you hear Brendan last night? Wasn't that scintillating? When I, sorry, if you, if you weren't there, we had Brendan up here. Ugly sight. But um, Brendan is one of our missionaries in South Africa at an AIDS orphanage. We got him up on Skype and I in, uh, interviewed him and we passed a microphone around and people could ask him questions. It was great. One of the questions I asked him is, how do I look at a little child dying of HIV Never had anything in the world. Never will have anything in the world. How do I say to them, God loves you? I mean, I just feel awkward. It looks like God loves me. I mean, but it doesn't look like God loves you. And it was brilliant how Brendan said, brilliant I thought. He said, you have to keep your eye on eternity. Because the truth is that child is not alone terminally ill. All of us are terminally ill. Everyone here is dying. The difference between that child and a person in Perth is that child knows they're dying. You don't have to convince them. These folk think they're immortal. And so Brendan brilliantly said, and it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that promises reward for eternity. And that's what Paul's saying here. Look at verse 8. Knowing 
that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. Our reward is from the Lord. We don't work for reward in this life. Listen, Christians don't work for money. If money's what you want, then money's what you'll get. And it better make you happy. But Christians are looking for something way better than money. Way better than money. And this reward, verse 8, from the Lord is both for employers and employees. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So Christians have given up looking for reward here. We look for reward there and therefore we work harder, not less. Harder. What more can I do? See, we're not hippies. We're not hippies. We believe in work. God the Father will reward us for our work. Have you ever taken that on board? Do you ever hear a sermon or something and think, yeah, I'm wasting my life being an accountant. I should be a preacher. If that's what you think, you're not listening to the text. God rewards us for whatever good we do. Whether you're a good teacher, good accountant, good dentist, good brickie, whatever you do, it's service to God. And so I'm about to take a little reformational diversion. I want to talk quickly about the biblical view of work. This was something that was rediscovered in the Reformation. I want to show you three quick things about work. Number one, we were made to work, not for work. Work is not the be-all and end-all for the Christian. God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden to work. In other words, we were made to work. But we were not made for work. Our work doesn't give us our identity. Our relationship with God gives us our identity. And when God put Adam in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, don't think the whole world was the Garden of Eden. It was a very particular place. And Adam's job was to spread it, to grow it, to work it. Work is good. Secondly, we all have two ministries. If you're a Christian, you've got two ministries. One, you've got a creation ministry. Two, you've got a gospel ministry. Your creation ministry is because you're a homo sapien. Which means, in case you were wondering, which means you are to contribute to the biblical government of this planet. That's what God gave men and women together. This planet, including Perth, belongs to Jesus. And therefore, as a human being, you are responsible to govern this planet properly. That is your creational ministry. You've got to be a good steward of the resources. You've got to be environmentally friendly and aware. You've got to work for just government. You've got to improve welfare. Uh, especially look after the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, widows, orphans. That is creation ministry and it's good. It's good when someone comes to you with a sore tooth. It's good that you fix his tooth. It's a ministry. But of course, because you're a Christian, you've got another ministry. Gospel ministry. 
And that is the proclamation of the word from God about Jesus. It's spreading the good news. Now, what happened before the Reformation is that was secular and that was spiritual. Your creation ministry is secular, your gospel ministry, woo, that's spiritual. And so what you had people doing is leaving work to go into monasteries to pray all day and read the Bible all day. But of course, the Reformation taught us that that is not true. Both are spiritual. Your creation ministry and your gospel ministry, both are an act of worship to God. Both are spiritual. I mean, imagine otherwise dying. Boy, am I going to be high in heaven compared to you. Because imagine if 50% of your life is a waste of your time. What an awful position to be in. Might as well go to a monastery. No, friends, your work is your worship. It's as much to the glory of God as the gospel ministry you do. Let me me read a a, a brain, Alistair McGraw, who says this. Reformation attitude to work, listen carefully, is that in serving fellow human beings, we are glorifying God. Work is an act of praise. There is a God-given dignity to work. To become a Christian does not entail withdrawing from the world, but committing oneself to look after that world, but of course with a new outlook. Isn't that liberating? Isn't it great that when Monday morning comes, you don't slit your wrists and wait for Sunday again. You wake up on Monday morning, you brush your teeth, and you think, today I'm going to worship my Father. And you go and do your plumbing or whatever it is you do. But of course, B takes priority over A. The Bible does teach that where they are impossible to do both, that gospel ministry takes higher priority than creation ministry. That's because God has promised a new heavens and a new earth. And so if you are in a position where your creation ministry prevents you from doing gospel ministry, you need to change your creation ministry because gospel ministry takes priority. But both are spiritual and both are worship. Let me take the last thing about biblical view of work. What about ambition, Dwayne? Christians really so soppy. What about ambition? Well, I looked up the word ambition. There are three times the Bible says you should have ambition. And here they are. You must have ambition to mind your own business and lead a quiet life. Stop being a CEO of BHP Bulletin and become a postie, which is a good job because when you get home from being a postie, I don't imagine that you've got too many massive board decisions to run through, which is why I always, it's still my favorite job. But my point is, you look at a Christian who's a postie or a Christian who works at Woolworths and you think, where's your ambition? No. They've got all the ambition in the world to lead, mind their own business and lead a quiet life. That's how the Christian thinks. We don't think we've got to go as high as possible. We think we've got to go as quiet as possible. Make it your ambition to please Him. 
whatever I do. So my job is to fix motorbikes. I'm going to please God and fix them well. And make it your ambition to preach the gospel. So what job must you do? What job do you have to do? The answer is, do any job that fulfills that criteria. Any job that fulfills that criteria, do it. Folks, please don't think that you are going to be a brilliant maths teacher. Brilliant maths teacher. You can even explain it when they mix numbers and letters, which is where I lost the plot. But you can even explain that. And you die. And you stand before God and God goes, I wanted you to be a baker. That's never going to happen. It doesn't matter what you do. Do what you like. But do it with this in mind. And it's pleasing to God. I mean, what is the point of being a bricklayer? And you're putting bricks together and you think, Jesus is going to come back and knock this flat. The answer is, Lord, I'm leading a quiet life, minding my business, making it my aim to please you, doing this as best as I can because you loved me and gave your son for me. Let me close with one last thought. You know why Christians are sometimes lazy at work? It's because our hearts deceive us. We think spiritual Bible, Christianity, therefore I'll just do a soft job at work. We think we're spiritualizing, but actually our hearts are deceitful. It's because we're lazy. Watch the heart, it's deceitful. Christians are to work well. Never do a sloppy job because it's our spiritual act of worship. Lastly, and very quickly, employees are servants of Christ to serve their employers with goodwill. Let me say a quick word to employers. Employers are servants of Christ who treat their employees with good will. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. That's why it took so long on employees because it simply says, Masters, do the same. What, what, what do you mean? Well, look at verse 7 and 8. Rendering service with a good will. When you employ someone, you are serving them. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that wherever, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. Masters, do the same. So, masters, employers... Treat your employees with an eye to pleasing Christ. Remember, it's another man's servant you're bossing around. Just remember that there's another master and you're bossing that master's servant around. Be careful. And by the way, employers, you must boss them around. We are not egalitarian, neither in marriage nor employment. And if you're the boss, you are the boss. And they must do what you say. But remember, there is another master. And especially, look at what he says, stop your threatening. In other words, I think it is a disgrace for Christians to ever speak to anyone without speaking to them respectfully, honorably. Masters, employers ought to say, please, thank you, 
I really appreciate that. Hey, won't you do this for me, please? Thank you. Words of encouragement. Stop your threatening. We never, Christians, never talk down to other people, ever. Even if we're the CEO and they're the coffee maker. We never talk down. What do I mean by goodwill? What does it mean there, by goodwill? Rendering service with a goodwill. It simply means wanting someone to prosper. Christian employers are not driven by the bottom line. Oh, really? Yes, really. Christian employers are not driven by the bottom line. We want our employees to prosper as people. Most of all, spiritually. If you are the boss, by the way, the big, big, big manure, as we say in Afrikaans, which means the big cheese. If you are the boss, you should have a Bible study at your work because you're the boss and no one can tell you what to do. Here's the point. Most of all, employers, Christian employers, pray for their employees. They want them to prosper in this world, but above all else, spiritually in the world to come. Employers seek the spiritual welfare of their employees. Employers don't encroach on family time. When you employ someone as a Christian employer, you keep an eye on their family. You send them home when it gets to midnight and they're still working in the office or whatever. We look for opportunities to bless them. We do what's good for them. Now, I want to close with the passage that Matt read to us. That's why I had it read to us. All of this, if you just heard me today, you would leave here thinking, well, I've been taught how to be good. But I want to catch this whole conversation in the language of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Come with me to Mark chapter 10 and we'll close with this passage. Besides that, we've got communion coming up, so I think it'll be good to look at this again. Where is Paul getting this from? Why is he writing like this? And the answer comes, he got it from Jesus. Look with me at Mark 10, which Matt read just, from verse 42. Christianity is a world-turning-upside-down idea. Look at what Jesus says in Mark 10, 42. Mark 10.42 Jesus called them to him and he said to them You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. What he's saying is you look at the world. The higher you go, the more bossy boots you become. The more your identity is derived from comparing yourself to others. Why am I good? Because I'm better than him. That's all it's about. It's about a competition. Jesus says we're not like that. We don't lord it over others. We don't exercise authority and he means that in a derogatory way. Look what he says in verse 43. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That can't be right. That can't be right. But it is. 
The greatest person on church on a Sunday is the dear old lady making tea in the kitchen. It's topsy-turvy. Jesus turns everything we naturally think upside down. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Talk about ambition. Here's why. Why, Jesus? Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. There's the Gospel. At the heart of it is the story of the Son of Man, which is a title meaning from Daniel 7, meaning the one who's got all authority and power in the whole universe. He came, which is Christianity. That's why our other church that meets here on a Sunday afternoon is called Down to Earth. Based on that, He came down to earth. The one who had all authority in the universe came. Not to be served. Astonishing. There wasn't a limo. He wasn't born on HBF Healthcare. He was born in a stable. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You first. Me second. He came to submit. Oh, unbelievable. Is this God? Yes, this is God. He came to submit and submit to death on a cross. And if that message grips your heart and turns it upside down, you will live like this man. You will end up giving your life as a ransom for others. Me first, buddy. No, you first. You first. I live to serve because there was a God who served me. And that shapes our entire view of employers and employees. And that's what Ephesians 6 is all about. Let's have one or two. Matt, must we have one or two questions? He says yes. One or two questions, comments, then we'll sing and we'll go. No, you're going to pray first, eh? And then we'll sing. So let's have one or two questions, one or two comments. Dave Scholz. Yeah. So the question is, it says we must always obey our employers and um, what happens if they ask us to do unethical? And that's why I put up creation ministry and gospel ministry. Because at the end of the day, we always obey God first. And if you're in a position where an employer asks you to do something unethical, which, by the way, I take it means against God's word, not man's word, God's word, at that point you cannot obey your employer. You cannot obey your employer. You must respectfully, honorably beg him or her to do something else instead. We've got a man here who was asked by his employer to run a party for the Clients with skimpies, girls in virtually nothing. And what a dilemma that guy faced. But how brave he was, and if I get the story right, to go to his employer and say, I won't do that again. So, but hey, can I sweep? You know, I want to show you that I'm, I want to serve. Can I do something else instead, please? 
I'll park the cars. But I'm not doing that. Yeah, quite right. Michelle. Thank you. That's very helpful, Michelle. I hope you heard that. I won't repeat it, but that was excellent. Always remember, who did Jesus submit to? Sinners. He let them crucify him. There's no mandate for Christians only to submit to good people. We submit to bad people. This is what I never understand. We have these ideas that, you know, as Islam advances militarily, Christians must rise up to it. No. We'll die for Muslims. Because that's what our God did. We don't fight. We submit. That's what we do. Because that's what our God did. But, the reward is ultimate. We will be first. Let no one be mistaken. This is the way to reward. This is the way to win. Is to lay down your life for others. It's great ambition. Our problem is we're not ambitious enough. I think I'd better close it there. Matt's going to lead us in intercessory prayer.